It's Monday, July 8th, 2019. Episode 2 is on the air for Case of the Mondays podcast. We've got a lot to cover, including strategies for not falling in love with a candidate, some sourcing tips from LinkedIn, and much more. Let's go. Case of the Mondays podcast brought to you by Recruit311.com. We've got a lot to cover today from the world of recruiting. Thank you to all who listened to our premiere episode last week, July 1st. Happy Canada Day and happy July 4th to our American friends as well. We didn't get a chance to say that on the last podcast, so it's belated today. But welcome to episode two. We're thrilled to have you. We've got a lot to cover, as I said, including talking about recruiting sites like Indeed. What is the difference between that type of site's need when you've got a salaried-based admin role, for example, versus the roles you're hiring for in sales? We'll also talk about where do you hold your first uh, meetings with candidates. This is an important piece that we're starting to hear some tips on. We've got some great things to share on that. We've also got some t- sourcing tips for LinkedIn, uh, and that's our sourcing tips for this week and on LinkedIn as well. And we've got some strategies for not falling in love with a candidate too fast. What can you do to help prevent that before ending up with the wrong person in the role? So let's get started. We are going to talk a little bit right now about recruiting sites because we're getting a lot of questions via email. Email. We got a lot of questions on the last podcast. Can we cover this? Uh, why is it that we have this opinion, both in the course and in the first episode of the podcast, that recruiting sites like Indeed.com or if you're in Canada and Workopolis uh, are not the type of sites for this type of role? Well, you are hiring into a sales role and you're hiring into a sales role usually either commission-based or commission plus salary or sometimes even salary. And even with those roles where it's just 100% salary, are these sites really the best place to go for candidates? The answer from our humble opinion is no, they are not. Does not mean, of course, that you don't find candidates there. And it's a great spot for new recruiters and new sales managers to do some initial interviewing to really get their feet wet in the recruiting side of your business. There's no question about that. There's lots of candidates on there. There's lots of resumes on there. There's lots of opportunity to practice interviewing on there. What we would say Say, though is the likelihood of you finding the candidate you're looking for the one that's going to perform right outside of the gate and last are pretty slim and part of the reason is these people are not necessarily the right people for the job they're already looking for work they may even be more apt to just accept any job they can get even if this isn't the right 
thing for them. And what ends up happening a lot of times off of these job sites is that you interview candidates that say all the right things and you start to believe and fall in love. And we're going to talk a little bit about falling in love with candidates toward the end of this podcast. But you start to really believe the things that they're saying, even though what's probably likely happening is they're doing and saying everything they can to get the job, which nobody would blame them because most likely they're sitting there looking for a job. So they're great opportunities to do interviews. You can do a little bit of digging. Obviously, if you take the Recruit 311 course, or if you've had one of our presentations out of your, out at your office, or if you've heard our virtual sessions, you know we talk about this a lot. This is an opportunity to really vet a candidate and try to make sure that you're actually going to see somebody that is potentially great for your role, that's a great fit, that can and will do the job. And that's what we're really, really looking for here. So this is where where you have to think about the other sourcing opportunities and why the other sourcing opportunities are so much better. It's not that a job site can't yield a successful candidate. We know that it can, but the facts of the matter are that there are a lot lower chances from a job site you almost have to see 100 candidates to really find a candidate that meets a couple of criteria. The first criteria is that they're successful. The second criteria is that they're not only successful, they're successful for at least a year and they last at least a year with you as well. The challenge with some of these job sites is, and what we found in talking to some of you out there, and of course in our own research, is that when you hire somebody from one of these job sites, quite often, as we said earlier, they are looking for a job. So they may just say, I'll take it, right? And and that's not a problem, especially if they're good. The problem is they may also still continue looking for jobs. And how many of you out there right now, recruiters, be honest with yourselves, have had somebody leave your sales role literally a month into the job because they found something better on the job site that you just got them from, right? So so this is why referrals are so much better. This is why uh, soft sourcing from places like LinkedIn, from places like uh, groups online or blogs are so much better because you are sort of just trying to disturb them out of careers they may be okay with at the moment. You will have to do more selling. There's no question about that. You're going to have to sell your career when you get in touch with these types of people. But the reality is if you're able to do that and you do that well, and if you haven't listened to episode one, I suggest you do that because we talk a little bit about what you should be presenting, especially in the beginning, in the early going versus compensation. There's opportunity galore to to utilize referral sources to make the best of the candidates you're speaking to. It is fact that referrals are better candidates in the end. They last longer, they're more successful, and you have to see much fewer of them in order to find somebody that's successful for at least a year, right? And lasts beyond a year. So that's where where you know you, you start to see resumes that are stale on places like Indeed. You start to see people that have been getting a little more desperate looking for jobs. You start to see candidates that that maybe don't fit your mold as much as you think they do. And yes, it's easy. It's low, hot, low hanging fruit. You've got opportunity to interview as many people as you want from these sites. But again, it is, it is risky because you need to see for a successful hire at least 100 of those people, potentially even more, to find what we would consider a success, which is lasting a year and being successful, being in the top half of their performance for for your new people in your company. So again, 
job sites. It's not that we're saying don't use them as a sourcing opportunity, but definitely, definitely be cautious that these are not necessarily your best and most high quality candidates. They always are the highest quality from referrals, whether that's from centers of influence, from your own people, uh, from referrals from family, things like that. Those are our best and, and definitely most solid candidates. They're the ones that probably, if you, if you are able to convince them into the career, are more excited and more gung-ho and more successful in the end. So, so that's our topic on recruiting sites like Indeed. Again, we don't want to knock those sites entirely. Definitely want to make sure that you have them as a sourcing opportunity. You want as many sources for candidates as possible. Just remember, they should not be your top source. Now, the next thing is, once you've sourced that candidate, a lot of questions coming in this week from our last podcast saying, hey, can you cover where people are holding first meetings? Where have you seen your clients tell you that they're holding their first meetings when recruiting for a sales role? And this is an interesting question. I appreciate the question. Thank you. If you've got questions like that out there, uh, absolutely send those in to us at contact at recruit311.com. We'll make sure we make them a part of the podcast. Great question. So where do you hold your first meetings? Well, one of the things that, it, that I think we see a lot of is, is a lot of this moving away from uh, holding it in an interview room in your office, bringing them downtown to your office and holding uh, and holding that first interview there. Now, that doesn't mean, so let's preface this very, very clearly. You're going to hold an interview there. You need to. They need to see your office. They need to see your environment. They need to see the fit for themselves. And you need to see how they fit into your environment. But what we're talking specifically about right here is the initial meeting. And one of the most advantageous ways to sell a candidate on your career is to show the flexibility because oftentimes our commission-based sales careers and even the ones that are on salary plus or even salary, oftentimes they do have the opportunity to work remotely or to build your own schedule or whatever that, that may be. This is a great way to show that by meeting them at a local coffee shop, by meeting them at their kitchen table, by letting them decide. This is the biggest thing is you need to let the candidate decide, give them a few options, but let them decide where they want to have this first meeting. The reason is the most successful recruiters we're talking to, they find that when the candidate is extra comfortable, they've owned the decision on where this, this first meeting is going to take place, and they feel like it's in their zone, in their territory, they're more apt to listen to you about the opportunity than if they feel like they're in your world right? So it's just like any type of animal walking into a lion kingdom, right? If you look at it that way, you know, the can the candidates, the animal, you're the lion kingdom and the candidates walking into what they don't know. And they don't know if you're a predator. They don't know if you're doing something uh, outside of what they would feel is part of what they want in their new career. So by allowing them to select that location, by allowing them to pick where you meet first, it, it's so, so important because it builds and establishes early trust in the selection process. Because remember, when we're talking about sales careers and we're talking especially about commission-based sales careers, 
you're not the only one selecting here. They're selecting you as well. They have to know why they're going to take your career opportunity and why it's going to be successful for them. So they're selecting you, your company, and your office as well as you selecting them. So it's important that you give them this first leeway, this first leash, right? And then that way, as they as they listen to you, they feel more comfortable with where they are, and they're more willing to listen to the details of the career. So the top places, they're coffee shops, maybe take them out for lunch if you don't want that expense, maybe meet them at their kitchen table, uh, somewhere that's comfortable for them rather than bringing them into the office. It seems like our top recruiters we're speaking to always meet somebody outside of the office first. So that's our suggestion of the week on that. Now, as far as our recruiting tip for the week, this one was an interesting one too. This was also requested from one of our listeners from last week, and I appreciate that. How to use LinkedIn as a sourcing opportunity. And the sourcing tip that we can give you on LinkedIn this week is probably an important one. We cover it in the Recruit 311 Recruiting Mastery course, as well as uh, weekly strategies on that if you're in the Mastermind course. The Mastermind course, of course, being the one that gets updated every single week, sometimes uh more than that, depending on how much uh, we've, we've received as far as tips and tricks and, and best practices for sourcing and selection. Uh, this one comes straight from an, old, uh, an older version of the course, but, uh, but one that we were excited about back then and still are today because it works so, so well. If, if you're already really good at getting referrals from your, your own team, getting referrals from COIs, and you're looking for that extra piece of sourcing and you're not really sure how to use LinkedIn for a sourcing opportunity, here's a great one. LinkedIn groups. LinkedIn groups are an amazing opportunity to, to really get involved, A, in your community, but also to find new candidates, new opportunities to interview candidates and, and to start discussions, to start building that trust. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about trust and building trust uh, in the, the selection process with your candidates and how important that truly is. You can start this here. You can start this as part of your sourcing through LinkedIn groups. What's really, really important, and we see this mistake made a lot on LinkedIn as we do our individual coaching and consulting. Uh, when you're using LinkedIn to source uh, and you're using LinkedIn groups, it's fantastic if you join an insurance group. If you're in insurance, it's fantastic if you enjoy if you join a real estate group. If you're in real estate, but other than stealing people from other companies, you're not really going to get a ton of candidates there, especially if the groups are national groups. So if this is like your realtor group for across Canada, for example, A, you're probably not going to recruit too many people from there because it's from the entire nation. But it's also, you know, if you're doing this across the United States, it's also, you know, you, you're really stealing people from places that could be in Florida, that could be in California, and you happen to be in Detroit, that's not going to work very well for you, right? So so one of the things that you really need to do, and we're not saying don't be part of national groups. Obviously, you want to have that opportunity. You want to learn from your peers, and you want to find out what's working well for others. But when you're doing LinkedIn groups for recruiting and you're trying to use them as a source, what you want to do is, is join local groups. Join as local as you can get. If it's right down to your town, great. If it's an area uh, of the province or state that you're in, that's great too as long as you can you, 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 know, you cover that area as part of your recruiting area. That's a great spot to go. But you want to do groups that are, are local and that have lots of members in them. So if you've got a group that you come across and it's, you know, the Detroit uh, Society of Community Involved People and there's 10 people in it, 
don't join that group. It's not going to help you with your sourcing. It's not going to be there. What you want to do, if it is the great community of Detroit and you've got 600 members and you cover the Detroit area, the greater Detroit area, as part of your recruiting, then this is perfect. You now have 600 names to work from in that LinkedIn group, and it's local, so there's actually a chance these people might be interested. And hey, they're also involved in the community, which is an important part of a commission-based sales role, and really all sales roles, because you are, of course, marketing yourself. And, and this is where this becomes so, so important. Local LinkedIn groups that have something to do with the career opportunity that you're recruiting for. That doesn't mean it has to be in the industry, but it has to be something you want. For example, if this is a sales career that is commission-based, you need them to have lots and lots of opportunities. Find the people that are in community-based groups, the, the local optimist clubs or the lion's clubs or, or whomever is in that group. Uh, that's what you want. You want the people that are volunteering, the people that are willing to get out there, the people that are willing to use and build a network for themselves. That's a great person to talk to. Now, the problem with some of these groups is they are sensitive to vultures, to sales vultures, right? And so... What you really have to understand here is this is not an opportunity for you to go in and put your job posting in this group. So this is tip number two for joining groups as a sourcing method. You can join groups as a sourcing method all you want. Make sure they're local. Make sure they're relevant to your career. And make sure that they're, they're something that you're looking for in a candidate. But you can't go into that group and say, here's my job posting. I'm looking for great new realtors. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And you're going to get kicked out of the group as fast as you got accepted into the group. You need to join the conversation. And we talk all about social sourcing in our recruiting mastery course. And one of those modules is spent on joining the conversation. This is so important. If you're going to make social media work for you as a sourcing method, you need to join and participate in conversations that are happening on social media. In groups, this is especially the case because these groups are they're sharing articles about whatever it is they're involved in. They're having discussions about whatever it is they're involved in. They're certainly not looking for your advertising pitch or your career pitch. So what you want to do with these groups is you want to get involved in the conversations that are happening within the group once accepted. Do not put a job posting in those groups. And then what you want to do is discover who's talking in the group. And as soon as you've discovered who's talking, send them a connection request. So first, become part of that conversation. Make sure you're part of that conversation first. So respond to whatever it is they're talking about. Give your own opinion if you like. And then try to reach out and connect to that person. Once that person has, has accepted your personal LinkedIn connection, then you can send them a LinkedIn message to really start talking about, hey, I'd love to sit down for a coffee somewhere. I'll let you choose the location and, and would just love to talk about further about this topic that we're talking about in the group, but also an opportunity that I, I may see here for you as well. Way more successful to do it that way. Way, way more successful to do it that way. You get better candidates out of it. You get more real conversations and you build early trust. And again, like I say, tune into episode three next week when we talk all about building trust because this is one of the most important things you can do in the recruiting process. Sounds pretty familiar to the roles we're looking for, doesn't it? The salespeople having to build trust as well with their clients. It's the same for you. There is no difference. And we'll talk about that next week. 
lastly today, we want to talk a little bit about uh, a question that came up saying, I'm having a real, and I'm just going to read this to you. It's right up on my screen. I am having a real problem in my recruiting process, finding candidates, one or two, and deciding that both are great, and I want to hire both, and I just fall in love with candidates all the time, and then they get started, and they're no good. They don't, they don't succeed. They fail in the first few weeks. I have to let them go, or they, let, or they deselect themselves out of it, and, and I don't have, sorry, I'm just reading this again. Uh, sorry, I don't have the strategy in hand. To, to stop this and to figure out why I keep falling in love with candidates. Interesting question, very interesting question because this happens a lot. So you are not alone out there if you are falling in love with candidates and thinking they're the right ones for the role and then finding out later they're not. Uh, there are some great strategies around this. We do discuss this in the Recruit 311 mastery course as well as some mastermind stuff that we've got from from people across the industry that are doing this really really well but we'll share some of that too right now uh, one of the things that you really want to make sure you do is involve others uh, when you're doing your selection process and you start to feel like this candidate seems to be too good to be true or you feel like you're really really interested in having this candidate join even after only the first interview which happens a lot uh, or you're really excited because the assessment you sent them also said they'd be pretty good for this career this is where you really need to get colleagues involved in your interview process. And that can be anybody. That doesn't have to be somebody in the same role as you. It could be an admin in the office. It could be involving back-end staff. It could be involving anybody. But you want to make sure you have somebody else either sit in an interview with you or hold one themselves and see what they think about the candidate. This is somebody that did not source this candidate. This is somebody that did not have the first couple of interviews with this candidate, has not heard their canned responses or what they prepared for you and can actually sit there and interview them themselves and give you an honest opinion of what they think. Quite often, you'll find that that opinion is very differing from the one you have. Doesn't mean they don't like the candidate, but they might give you suggestions about saying, hey, you know, you might want to check on this, or you might want to check this reference, or you might want to really check on this scenario they gave us as a, as a past experience, uh, because I didn't feel like maybe they answered the question properly or honestly, because that's another issue. Uh, so there's lots of opportunity for when you are interviewing candidates to utilize other people in your office to sort of vet that candidate and help prevent them from being the one that you fall in love with and hire. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, they're gone or they're unsuccessful for the first six months and you don't get your bonuses. They don't get theirs. They don't make the money that they thought they were going to make in this. Then they're upset too. And they also may have had a salary role before they ever got involved with your role. And now all of a sudden aren't putting food on the table. We don't want to ever see that. So if that is something you are running into, great question. Please keep submitting those questions. Uh, and that is, is something that I know that a lot of people run into. So you're not alone as a recruiter on that one. But again, involving people in your office, involving as many people as you can, even a panel interview, although some candidates don't feel comfortable with panel interviews. Uh, again, just find ways to involve others in the office. So that's our podcast for this week. Thank you for joining us. We are really, really excited that you keep joining us. And that was episode two. Episode three happens next Monday. And we are going to talk about trust and building trust with candidates, how important building trust is, and how to make sure that that trust gets built, stays, and creates a successful candidate and new hire for you. So that's our main topic next week. We look forward to seeing you then. Until then, have a great week. And thank you for checking out Recruit311.com.